Hi, everybody. This is Tony Khan, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. Is there anything that you've never told me but want to tell me now? Some questions, like this one from a daughter to her mother, can take a whole lifetime to ask, and the answers can be well worth the wait. When we first came here, we went through a lot of things like not eating. For six months, your father lost his job, and Mm -hmm. we never told you that. I do remember a lot of bean tacos. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to tell you why. I was so busy going to school, too, that I guess I neglected you a little bit. (laughs) Watching you go to school with two kids and trying to make ends meet, that was the biggest inspiration for me to finish college. I thought, there's nothing that could stand in my way that didn't stand in yours more. And I feel like anything I do from here on out is okay because I've already achieved my dream. For five years now, people close enough to each other to ask and answer questions like that have been gathering in StoryCorps booths across the country. Each conversation is recorded on a free CD for them to share, and each is preserved at the Library of Congress. The founder of the project is Dave Isay. Story course, two people in a booth looking each other in the eyes and telling them that they love one another by listening to their stories, stories that resonate with yourself and resonate with your own life. Mm-hmm. And it's about getting people to listen to each other. It's especially when dealing with people who hadn't necessarily been listened to. We're at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem, Oregon. I'm 49 years old. I've been here 21, almost 21 years for a drug-related robbery. I'm 39 years old. I got double consecutive life without the possibility of parole, aggravated murder. My little boy came in here, you know, Daddy, please come home for just a little while. My daughter, she said to her mama, Dad must not really love us. If he did, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have left us out here like that. My wife, she's uh, raised those kids for 11 years by herself. She's a hero. That's an incredible human being right there. That's the way I feel you know. about Nettie. That's my wife. We met in here in 1990 over the telephone. We've been together ever since. I seriously believe if it wasn't for her, I'd probably gave up a long time ago and done something really horrendous in here. Waking up, looking at them bars. Just things that things. people take for granted. I would love to mow the lawn, you know? When the trucks come in, you know, they bring in like the trash truck and all that, the smell of the exhaust, most people don't want to smell that. I try to get a nose full of it because it, it brings back memories of being on the streets. That, if you really think about that, is sorry. I mean, that's the highlight of your day, getting a nose full of exhaust. Think you'll ever get out? When those moments happen, for me, it's almost like you can see kind of sparks coming out of the mouth of the person who's talking. (laughs) It's like it it rises to this level of just electricity. I love that. Well, but you know what I mean. I mean, it's just electric. It's funny. I've never had this conversation before. But um, when you really get into a conversation that's that's working, it's almost like there's kind of a a beam connecting you. It's like a a Star Trek kind of thing. You're like melded into that other Mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. And I think arrogantly, I imagine that Without me in the room, <laughs> there wouldn't be kind of great stories coming out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, you know, hit in the head with a baseball bat two days after the launch of StoryCorps, and it was dead wrong. My presence in the room had nothing to do with it. She was the only person I knew that had more power than my grandmother. She wasn't a mean person. She was stern. She meant exactly what she said. Right. In fact, she was our Sunday school teacher. The only thing that would keep you from going to Sunday school you had to have one foot on banana peel and the other in the grave. Absolutely. One of the things that you prayed for 
Queen Women's Divines class was, Lord, please let me get old enough to get out of this class. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Vine made me walk two blocks in my pajamas and my tennis shoes. I had to sit in church with my friends. <laughs> Doing Sunday school with my pajamas and my tennis shoes. I'm going to tell you shit. I'll, I'll never lie again. <laughs> but you know what? That's the kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. that we got growing up, and, and, and I'll never forget that. We have facilitators, someone who is um, going to make you feel calm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we built the booth. You know, the lights are low. It's a very intimate space. And the very clear message that it is about honoring someone in your life by asking them about their lives, by listening to them, I think makes people comfortable. Throughout my life, you've been a, a source of inspiration for me, Grandpa. Oh, thank um, you, Chef. But I think the biggest thing that you did was the dedication that I saw you give to Grandma in those last, like, seven or eight years that she had Alzheimer's, especially for someone like me, a child of divorce, who, you know, I've never really been given a great example of a very strong relationship. That's the biggest thing that you've brought to me. Never for a minute did I ever think, God, when is this going to be over? I never, ever thought that. And uh, since she's died and I've kind of been floundering and trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life, I find this period to be much more unsatisfactory than all those years of caring for her. So I guess I did have true love for her. I think that's that's what was so remarkable about it for me. I remember once talking to a young lady. She must have been 16 years old. I asked if you had absolute power to make one particular thing happen that you think would make the world, at least for a little while, a more peaceful place. What would it be? And without hesitation, she said it would be a pill that everybody would have to take that for three days would make them feel what it's like to be the other guy. Hmm. You know, how much bigger you really are in the presence of another person and how much deeper you go. That's the power of of story to me, to kind of be that person for a moment and, and have a much deeper understanding of how much we share in common. Each Friday morning here in the States, a three or four minute edit is made of one of these 45 minute conversations and presented on NPR's Morning Edition. Short as they are, each of these stories is like the tip of a mountain that stretches to heaven or to hell. The Capitol Dome was superimposed on her angry face, angered that I would have the temerity to ask to buy a ticket to a movie. And I just walked the streets crying all night. My country could draft me, force me to fight a war, but you're not a good enough citizen to be able to come to a movie. Without any exception, it's the most painful recollection of anything that's ever happened to me that I have. It's a very, very simple idea. It's not rocket science. It's two people in a booth <laughs> with a third person there to help with the equipment in a quiet room talking to each other. Why did it take um, but so I, long for that to happen? <laughs> I, I think it took having someone who's a total nut who insists that this thing must happen. <laughs> You know, we've done about 17,000 interviews with about 33,000 participants. And I don't think there's been a bad experience in the bunch. How many of these stories do you get to hear yourself, Dave? None. 
Oh. I mean, I'll, I'll probably hear excerpts of two stories a week, and they're totally varied and, and hopefully surprising every week. I remember one woman in particular, a senior, who had gotten on my bus. I said, uh, are you okay? She said, I don't know a restaurant. I'm meeting my friends. I said, you sit in the bus. I'll run in and I'll check each restaurant. The very, very last one on the left, I went in. I said, uh, there's a lady in the bus, and she's not sure the restaurant. And I saw a whole bunch of other seniors there, and, and, and they said, oh, it's Poppy Ha. So I ran back to the bus. I said, oh, sweetie, your restaurant is right here. And I said, no, no, don't move. And I grabbed her hand. I remember my right hand grabbed her right hand. I wanted to make her feel special, like it was a limousine. It's a bus. And she said, uh, today is the best day of my life. Just because I helped her off the bus, and I never forgot that woman. 50 of those 17,000 conversations have been edited into a book called Listening is an Act of Love, an additional opportunity to dwell not just on the words exchanged between these people, but on the things left unspoken between the lines. There was a moment in one of the stories, and I want to read it to you. It it went right to my heart. It's on page 137, and Mm -hmm. uh, it's part of a conversation that's going on between a woman named Cindy and a man named Curtis. Curtis says, I knew that you were good for me when you said one day that we were just two tortured mutts. That was the day I knew that I wanted to marry you. Cindy says, that's so sad. Curtis says, but that's exactly how I feel. I feel like a tortured mutt. So I knew if you were a tortured mutt and I was a tortured mutt, that we could probably give each other love. It's good stuff. (laughs) Was there a similar moment like that for you in any of these stories? Um, I think that George K. Wood story, there's something about that story that um, that really sticks with me. The daughter who brings her dad to the booth in Los Angeles to have a conversation with him. And uh, this conversation unfolds, which is, it's just incredibly intimate. She asks him about his father's suicide. This guy, George K. Wood's father, took George's gun when George was 13 and killed uh-huh. himself. Uh-huh. And um, he says that no one has ever asked me about this until today until this moment. You are such a wonderful, loving father to us. You have not breathed a breath, Gina, you and your sisters, when you weren't the most important thing in my life. Sometimes when you did say no, I could bat my eyelashes (laughs) at you and get you to change your mind. It still works. (laughs) Each of the four girls had their own technique. You know, yours was those brown eyes. Please, Dad. Well, see, I'm melting on the spot. You know, um, I think one of the things that my sisters and I have always felt is that you um, are a great, great man. And I hope that somehow this interview today brings you the honor that I think you deserve. I wouldn't trade this for every accolade in the whole world. You know, I love you, honey. I love you, too. (laughs) These stories, you know, just pull you right back and remind you what, what it's all about. An opportunity to stop and look a loved one in the eye, listen to them, and tell them what they meant to you. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Your work means a lot to me. Thank you. Same here. This was fantastic. Morning Stories is absolutely terrific. Do you need that in writing? (laughs) That was Dave Isay with today's Morning Story, Story Corps. Gary Mott, any final words? Check us out on the web, wgbh.org slash morningstories, and please, please get in touch. Morning Stories at WGBH.org. See you soon. Take care.